Welcome to another episode of When Fear Reigns, where we talk about living your faith in a secular world. I'm Ben Workentine, as always, joined by Dr. John Parlow, sitting across the table for me today. Today, we're tackling the idea that God almost seems bipolar as you read through the scriptures, that the God of the Old Testament is full of wrath and justice and genocide and craziness, and then the God of the New Testament is the God of love, harmony, reconciliation, those kinds of things. Before we get into it, I want to thank you, our that's listeners. Kinda actually, oh. That's kind of the same way people view me and you <laughs> as, as uh, clergy at St. Mark Ministries. I'm, I'm, am I the clergy of love? Is yes, that where you we're are. going You're with this? Yes, you the clergy okay. of love. Yeah. I, I don't know that that moniker would fit you, John. <laughs> uh, it, that's, why, that's why I said it wouldn't. Um, before we get into the topic, I want to thank you, our listeners, for continuing to download the podcast, listen to it, engage with it. We love having conversations with you, and our Facebook group is a great place to do that. Uh, if you find that you love listening to this podcast, um, it, please leave a review in whatever app you use to listen to it, whether it's Apple Podcasts or, or Google Podcasts or somewhere else. Um, uh, share the podcast, post it on your Facebook page, um, help others find this resource if you've, if you've found it useful. Uh, we thank uh, everybody who's already done that and uh, just asking you to keep it up. John, as the heat of summer has hit, uh, before we get into the hard stuff, I want to give you some either-ors questions, A or B. You got to come down on one side or the other, no fence sitting. Very millennial of you. Yeah. Like, actually, millennials no, would say that yeah, it's got to be and. everything. Yeah, both yeah. and. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right, so what side are you on, ice cream cake or cake and ice cream? I wouldn't do either of those. I oh. just do cake. I just <laughs> When I make cakes for myself in a family that's all gluten intolerant, I'll have yeah. celiacs. I make cake, usually chocolate, frost it with either chocolate or white icing, and then I just, I never cut it, I just get a fork. <laughs> so, you know, this treats go, for you. Lydia huh? always goes, how long is that going to last? Three days or two? <laughs> I said, well, I'll try two. <laughs> All right. How about uh, unsweet iced tea or sweet tea? Sweet tea. Sweet tea. All right. You got a little bit of south in you there. Uh, road trip or lake cabin? Lake cabin. All right. And summer shandy or IPA? I think I know the answer to this question. Well, it would be a, a New England double IPA, but okay. generally speaking, I really like... Um, uh, Belgian quads that are generally barreled in bourbon barrels. And so if you really did respect your lead pastor, <laughs> I would see a four pack of that. It's about $21.99. Just everyone noticed that I gave him two choices and he chose option C, not option A or B. Just uh, just give you a, a hint. Kind of used to coloring today. outside the lines. Yeah. <laughs> um, when people talk this way about God, uh, that the God of the Old Testament has a, almost a different character than the God of the New Testament, kind of help us give a, get a glimpse into what might be behind that, that sort of accusation or that sort of assessment of God of the Bible. Well, they're reading the Old and New Testament as two different accounts, and really they're the same story of love. I, I always tell people, you've you got to read the history of God's people, Israel, and how had God had chosen them and started all with Abraham and so on, and even before that, the garden. And then he promised the Savior already in Genesis 3, and so he's going to walk all the way through that. And you have to see it in the total picture of God saying, I'm going to rescue a world that doesn't deserve to be rescued. I'm going to rescue a people that don't deserve to be rescued. I'm going to use a people that certainly don't deserve to be used. He picked the Israelites. Yeah. Uh, and uh, through them, I'm going to physically bring a Savior into the world. And so um, the reason a lot of people think, well, you know, this God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is yeah. the God of love, yeah. right? is maybe because they don't see the complete picture, they see right away God's defending Israel to make sure the line of the Savior continues, mm -hmm. big picture. And uh, so he's, you, you hear battles and so on. You hear stories of how God used warriors like um, Samson, David, mm -hmm. Saul. Mm -hmm. You hear of the plagues, which are always, yep. you know, make yep. make the news. 
Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, you hear the Red Sea parting, you hear the flood, God wiped everyone out except for, you know, a family. Mm-hmm. And oh, you got the brown snake and so on. So, and then you look at the New Testament, you think, oh, Jesus. Yeah. People yeah. got like hipster Jesus in mind, which <laughs> he wasn't. Read the New Testament. Yeah, he yeah. spoke a lot about hell. In fact, he spoke, I think, three times more about hell than heaven. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. just, they, again, don't go to the University of Twitter yeah, to learn yeah. your, your theology. <laughs> but they, what, what they know of the apostles and Jesus they say, well, it seems less violent. Mm-hmm. They're just healing people. Yeah. Well, and you think of, I mean, you look at Jesus, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but he calls the Pharisees by washed tombs, brood of yeah, vipers. Yeah, but like, they, they miss those parts. They, they, <laughs> they, they like the parts where he says, oh, let little children come to me. And, you know, uh, he, he's on the side of the woman who was committed, had committed adultery and caught yeah, in it. Yeah. He has to read the next passage where he says, and don't, say no more. don't yeah. do this anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't, don't do yeah. this. And it, I mean, the, the whole line of reasoning has really, it, it turns into the cyclical thing where if you see God of the Old Testament is wrathful and angry, God of New Testament loving and gracious, well, then they can't be written by the same group of people. They can't be about the same. They can't have one central theme or one central Except figure. Except ne- people never say that about their parents because <laughs> their parents have both those too. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the point. Uh, it leads into places where you really start to parse the scriptures apart. You divide them and now, now you're talking, I mean, you get people who say, you know, they... This book was written by a group of people. That book was written, and they never talked. They never communicated. You know the the whole idea that the first five books of the Bible can't be divinely inspired, can't be. They're written by five different authors, types of authors, um, because people given letters, can't, yeah, yeah, given certain letters of the alphabet yep. can't see that the God of justice is also the God of mercy. They split the two apart, uh, and I I, I want to kind of flip that on its ear because I think we have this really simplistic view of the Old Testament as as genocide and New Testament as healing. Do you see, can you give us any examples of maybe healing and love in the Old Testament and maybe some justice uh, in the New Testament? Uh, I, I guess I would look at, um, I look at Genesis 3 for God's first promise of a savior, the seed or the offspring of mm-hmm. of Eve. God could have said, that's it. Mm-hmm. You guys stink. I'm not going to do that. But he doesn't <laughs> do that. You got Genesis or Deuteronomy 6, compassionate, gracious yeah, God. Yep. God giving, uh, I think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, people forget the story. Like God, you know, Abraham's going, how about 50 people? Yeah, yeah. And God's given him a chance all yeah. the way through. He's very yeah. gracious with that. He gave uh, the people of Noah's time 120 years, if I remember my Bible right. history right. Yep. You've got the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, where God is compassionate to both those people, and, and those people show that same compassion to others in their ministry. You see God defending the nation of Israel dis- in spite of or despite their... Uh, their disobedience all the time and mm-hmm. worshiping false gods and running after false gods and other nations. You see the fact that God, in the midst of all of that, writes through sinful men the prophecies of a Savior who would not only save them, but everyone else. Now, when mm-hmm. you come to a wrathful God in the New Testament, yeah, like as you had said, you know, Jesus was pretty hard on the religious leaders. Yeah. Yep. Whitewashed tombs would not pass for political correctness today in a woke <laughs> society. Uh, you look at the apostles that talk uh, at length about under, or let's go back to Jesus. Jesus giving us in Matthew chapter 18, the mm-hmm. steps of what we call today church discipline, which mm-hmm. no one likes to hear. Mm-hmm. Jesus saying, hey, someone's caught up in a sin. By the way, there's such a thing as sin according to Jesus. You're caught yeah. up in it. Yeah. You know about it. You can't say, I'm not going to do anything because it's not my job. I'm not going to judge. No, you're supposed to go to the person. Yeah. So yeah. That, that takes that, that out of that. And then you go ahead and you go to that person one-on-one until that person says, you know, get out of here. I, one time I had mm-hmm. someone I went to their doorstep. Oh, I'll tell the story. Someone went one-on-one with this person. And then Jesus says in Matthew uh, 
18 verse 15, 16, 17. He says that if they don't listen to that one person, you don't mm-hmm. go, okay, time's up. Who cares? No, Jesus says their soul is very important. Right. So two or three of you come along together so that everything's witnessed. Plus, you know, two or three people showing up from church right. on your doorstep, you're thinking, eh, they're this pretty serious. serious about yeah. this, right? Yeah. And then after that, if they, until they, they do that until they tell you not. You don't just go once, God didn't work. No, you keep going until they tell you, take a hike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you tell it to the church. So when people always came to me through my ministry, I always said, have you gone one and one? Oh, I, first of all, do you know this for sure? Yeah. Don't, yep. don't, don't say, well, I, you know, I, I heard, heard it from my cousin. Yeah, yeah. Who's dating his <laughs> daughter. Okay. That's not helpful. But okay, one and one. Okay. So you go one and one. You have a responsibility to do so. And then two or three and one. And then tell it to the church. Okay. Then the church goes. One time I did one, made one of those things that knock on the door. And I, I think the guy's name was Fred or something. He was, you know, shacking up with a woman who's not his wife. He met me at the door with a shotgun pointed right at my head. This is in South Dakota. <laughs> I was like, I said to him, apparently you don't want to talk to me. And then he yeah. used a flowery language. Good. Yeah. And said no. And I said, okay. Just wanted you to know your soul matters to me. Yeah. And then he yeah. said some other things, and I, I backed away facing him. <laughs> I don't know why, as if being shot in the head with a shotgun facing him is yeah, going to be any yeah. different than- The front or the back. Yeah, yeah it's not going to really difference. work. <laughs> I'm not going to have a head. Um, so, and then after that, Jesus says, you treat them as a tax collector, yeah. right? In other words, they were usually forbidden from the church in the sense of they were people that were outside the church. Well, you do that because that's a sign of love. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that, hey, I love you so much, I'm going to try to make sure you don't go down the hall or the, the hole of, of spiritual destruction. Yeah, yeah. That's what people realize, that the, the steps of church discipline, which so many people call, are actually a sign of love for people. And Jesus is the one that gave those to us. But it's also judgment. You talk about Jesus talking about Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew 24 and 25, you have the apostles talking about that, you know, uh, Paul just lighting people up in 1 Corinthians Five saying, listen, you're you're sleeping with your stepmom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you know, this shouldn't be. What are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Or Paul talking in First Corinthians chapter six about if you live in this sin, and he lists all these different sins, sexual sins and th- thievery and slander and whatever, you're not going to heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's plenty. Read the book of Revelation. Seems yeah. kind of yeah. uh, a lot of picture language there, but it seems pretty violent to me. Mm-hmm. So I I often say, generally speaking, uh, when people say, well, you know. There's God's bipolar. I said you probably haven't read his book, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to be mean or off-putting, but just read his book. Yeah, I think that's a key key takeaway that a lot of people who will make that accusation about the Bible or about God from the Bible haven't really taken the time to actually read it. They're hearing some some other expert. Well, they quote they, they saw a special on the History Channel, yeah, or Discovery yeah. Channel, yeah. and both of those whole you know Bigfoot uh, adventures, and if you know. Tells you how reliable yeah, they are. Yeah, that's my point. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I had to work that in. Um, so if if that's kind of a fallacy, the splitting together, I mean, there are some things in the Old Testament that are hard for us to read. Uh, there are some things in the New Testament, even like you talked about in Revelation, that are hard for us to read. How do you bring those two together and, and kind of see the, uh, how does that help us see the deeper yeah. nature of God? Yeah. Again, let, let's look at the big picture rather than two parts. Uh, the fact that the the Bible has got like God's progressive revelation of himself in a certain sense through, you have to understand, historical events, and then through his relationship with his own people through that history, uh, that sometimes contributes to the misconceptions people sure. have with that. But you got to keep the big picture in mind. Uh, but if you read both of them, it it's becomes very evident that, that God is not a different one from one testament to the other, but and it's God's wrath in both of those. Just remember, it's the same story. In the very beginning, Genesis, Genesis 3, what is it? I promise a savior mm-hmm. to come. Mm-hmm. 
So, we wait for that Savior to come all through the Old Testament, physically through, God graciously is going to give him physically through a, a people, Israel, that he deals with graciously, and he's got to slowly move them out of their pagan ways mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. pagan world, and that's why he gives them so many different laws, because they have to be different and set aside for all of those purposes. That's why they have certain civil and ceremonial laws that don't apply to us today, mm-hmm. but we're simply there to keep God's people together because he loved you and me too much to make sure that they didn't fall apart, right? Mm -hmm. And then what's the New Testament? Savior came. And what's the rest of the New Testament about? Savior going to come again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you think of that whole big picture that God came, created the world, then the world failed him. We we failed. And then he says, you know what? By grace, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send a Savior. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking for a Savior to come and get all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And then Jesus shows up in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Jesus ascends and says, don't worry, Savior's going to come a second final time. If you understand that big picture, you'll understand the Old Testament and New Testament and their relationship. Mm-hmm. I've sometimes heard people refer to those four things as um, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Yeah, and that kind that's, of arc that's through, good. The, that's through good. the whole scriptures. Because it really is looking forward to Jesus either coming the first time or Jesus coming the second time. Um, you, you said a word in there. I want to make sure that we understand clearly because I think it could be People use it differently. Progressive revelation. Can you tell? What well, do you God mean by keeps that? revealing Himself. I always think of this. Think of the word revelation itself is a word picture, which means to pull back the curtain. Okay. And so God in the Old Testament says, "I'm going to send a Savior." And then throughout the Old Testament and Him speaking in an in an inspired way through His prophets, uh, what He does is He He keeps pulling back the curtain. We learn more and more through those prophecies mm-hmm. of okay. the Savior to come. Okay, He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be part of the tribe of Judah. You sure. know, He's going to He's going to be pierced for us. All those and He pulls it back and by the time the curtain's all the way pulled back, you got John the Baptist yeah. wearing some pretty cool clothing <laughs> saying, behold, the Lamb of God yeah. who takes away this in the world. He's here. Yeah. So that's the idea of progressive is that we're getting more and more better picture of yeah. this God who's graciously saving us, although we don't deserve that. That's the idea of so progressive. So it's kind of a, a more complete, we're getting a more Correct. complete picture until we get to Jesus when yeah, we get the full picture. Yeah, I got to be careful picture, progressive, I suppose. And not, yeah. not God changing or yeah. morphing or Unless growing over time. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> Thanks for, for clarifying that. I'd like to just take, um, you know, I think we've we've kind of talked the the high level theoretical le- stuff, but I want to take one really concrete example that really gives some people some trouble. Uh, God condoning or commanding the eradication of entire nations of people. I think of the Canaanites or the Amalekites, and it looks to our modern eyes as genocide. Sure, help us walk through what's what's happening there and how do we well, understand that again in that context? I always ask people that first question that I ask a lot, what, what do you mean by genocide? What do you mean? Are you saying that God or the Bible condones the killing of like entire people mm-hmm. for some impulsive idea? Like, I just decided to wipe them out. <laughs> I'm having a yeah. bad day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to wipe them out. The that's, Canaanites look like yeah. a good way, yeah. to, a that, good place That's to... not true at all. That's not true at all. If you look at the groups that God destroyed in the Old Testament or had the the Israelites destroy. Let's look at one group, and it's always brought up the Canaanites. You know? yeah, How can yeah. you believe in a God who's a, a moral monster in the Old Testament? Right. Well, you have to understand some of the Canaanites. Just read for yourself, people. These people practiced child sacrifice as part of their worship of their false gods. For example, and I've told you this before too, when mm-hmm. they built a new house, they would sacrifice a child and then build the dead body into the walls of the house to bring good luck to the family, which is really creepy if you think about it. <laughs> Really creepy. I think years ago there was a, was it Gacy? Was that the guy, the cl- guy dressed up as a clown? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Chicago. And We're getting bury, a nod over from Anthony over there. Bury all those kids, those little boys in his basement and in his walls. He was just, I mean, evil. They also sacrificed their firstborn to Moloch, which you and I have talked about, yeah. by placing it on the red hot hands. And you said that, as far as you know, they were copper hands. Mm-hmm. They were red hot. 
of the idol, and then they would beat the drum so loudly so that the kids, you couldn't Could hear, hear the scream. kids scream yeah. at all. That's why God, one of the reasons God hated that Moloch worship. Um, and if a parent expressed any kind of grief, the sacrifice was invalid. Mm. That's what they believed. So God had warned these people about this behavior for, I think, several centuries, some say yeah. over 400 years. Yeah. And they didn't do it, you know? And, and so finally, they started to get some influence over the nation of Israel, and God said, that's it. Mm. I want you to go wipe out that nation, period. You know, it always, it always bothers me that you hear skeptics complain on the one hand that God doesn't do anything about evil, but then when he does, <laughs> th- then, then he's not a good God. Yeah. You know, uh, who wouldn't want a good God to step in and punish such child murder? Now, on the flip side of this, or another one, uh, you know, you and I understand genocide. Sometimes they'll say genocide is the utter and complete destruction of an entire ethnic group of people. God never commanded such a thing in the Old Testament. Now, you have to understand, the language of the Bible can be confusing. The ancient authors used kind of ancient, I always use warfare language for the most part, kind of Eastern expressions of like utter destruction when they didn't really mean that. I'll give an example in Joshua chapter 10, verse 40. Um, It says, Joshua utterly destroyed all that breathe in Canaan. Mm -hmm. But then in the same book, little while, he's talking about the Canaanites remained in the land. Well, what happened, mm-hmm. Josh? You missed some? You know, <laughs> did you miss some? No. It's the idea that it's kind of a, those expressions were similar to our, our modern metaphors of when we say, hey, not, oh, that's right, you're from Nebraska, you don't yeah. have a professional football team. Um, uh, I don't know, let's say Badgers, okay? The Wisconsin Badgers killed the Cornhuskers. Well, we Ooh, don't mean there was- That's a little close to home. Yeah. Doesn't mean there was <laughs> slaughter on the field. Yeah, yeah. We don't say that, or we say that like, hey, my son's team in basketball, my daughter's soccer team, they just killed the other opponent. Yeah. Or they they just crushed them. You don't mean they literally crushed them. They're just using that kind of language at that point. So uh, I think you have to be careful with that. It's more akin to like, you know, you, you put them in their place. You render them mm-hmm. in a, in a, to a, not be able to influence you anymore. I can see how the how the wording though in the Old Testament, if you don't know the context and how the words were used back then and how uh, wars were described and battles were described, how that can be confusing. I mm-hmm. really do. Mm-hmm. But so that that's my answer to that. Uh, and there's a great book I think it's by Paul Copland. Mm. It's called "Is God a Moral Monster?" It's a great read. It's a it gives you the context of every single question people have and passage in question in the Old Testament. It's just excellent. It's it, actually Paul Copen, C-O-P-A-N. We'll put a link uh, in the show okay. notes for you. Well, I was pretty close. You were pretty close. I'm we'll still, give it to you. I'm still reading it. So it's it's just it's just fascinating. And uh, yeah, I would encourage people, if you want more information, it's it's not an easy read. I mean, it's very interesting. The problem is not, it's got a lot of small letters, which is tougher for me to see. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really thick book because it just covers, yeah, it covers extensively everything. So it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, you know, some of this kind of gets... Theoretical and and you know it's interesting to talk about, but let's bring it bring it to what what impact does it have on my life? Whether or not I read Old Testament and New Testament or just New Testament, what's the big deal if you know the Old Testament just makes me uncomfortable, so I don't read it or I don't pay attention to it or I don't I, you know if a sermon is on it, I just skip that sermon. Whatever. Why why does a 21st century Christian need the Old Testament along with the New Testament? Well, you get a full picture of the God who saved you. A, a better picture, I would say. You know, um, the the remember the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, containing pictures that can only be translated by the Old Testament. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's my idea. The other thing is, I love preaching on the New Testament. I, I just love it because who can't find themselves in the Old Testament? Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, we got a lot of Davids. 
we got a lot of Bathshebas back there, mm-hmm. you know, in the mm-hmm. congregations that we serve, in the congregations that we serve in. Uh, you, you have, uh, the Old Testament is very raw in the sense and honest. Mm. And yet you see God keeps his promises, mm-hmm. just as he does in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And it's always been, I always thought to myself, and first in the ministry, I always thought, I'll just preach the Gospels because it's yeah. Jesus, yeah. baby. Yeah. It's Jesus. Yeah. And then, you know, Paul was pretty good too. And, <laughs> you know, so you put that in there. But you don't preach the Old Testament. because, And then at about five years into it, you're like, no, you got to preach the Old Testament yeah. because, yeah, it might have been, you know, millennia ago, but it's pretty much we're dealing with, I mean, don't you know a Samson, mm-hmm. a guy mm-hmm. who's... Relies you know, on his a, own strength. Well, he relies, he's, he's a he-man with a she-man, a she-woman problem. Yeah, you know, like yeah. the guy's really good except his weakness is, let's say, sexual addiction or something right, like that right. or, or lust. Or can't you see a David where the guy gets kind of drunk on power mm-hmm. and doesn't think the rules apply to him? Uh, can't you see a guy like... Um, <laughs> Like Moses, who says, "Listen, I'm I'm getting to retirement now. You want me to enter ministry, you know, <laughs> or or you know uh, Abraham or Sarah or mm-hmm. you know you've got so many, or Esther. Uh, God saved the world through a beauty queen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I just you look in the Old Testament and and you see, boy, this God can use anybody yeah. and any situation. And then of course He chooses in the New Testament twelve guys that you wouldn't <laughs> let your daughter ever date. Yeah. Before the resurrection. After yeah. the resurrection they turned out to be pretty good for the most part. I kinda like in the you know, if you if the popular term is unhitched from the Old Testament, it and, and you just have the New Testament, it's it's to me like the picture of a great work of art. You know, a great Rembrandt. A photograph, can you see the beauty of it? Yes, you're gonna appreciate it. Yes, you'll you know, but it's the it's when you stand in front of it, you see the texture of the strokes. You see the masterpiece that goes with it, the the intricacies of it. If you just read the New Testament, it's like seeing a flattened picture of God's plan of salvation. Yeah, you'll get what you need, right? In the Gospels, it's Jesus' life, Jesus' work, his death and resurrection. So it's it's incredibly important. But the the richness and the texture of the world that Jesus came into, the that thread of the promise that goes throughout those thousands of years, um, there's such depth and beauty there that that it's hard to want to unhitch the Old Testament. It just it just provides so much. So um, I, that's good. I, I'm glad you kind of helped us see the Old Testament is of value too. And this is, I mean, we've just kind of touched the surface. This is a big question. Uh, that, that book has got a moral monster. It's a good one. Um, it's covered in things like evidence that demands a verdict, case for Christ, stuff like that. Uh, the nature of God and who he is, how he reveals himself in scripture is a huge deal. Uh, and it's, incredibly important to see the unified arc of not only the nature of God, but his plan for rescuing humanity uh, throughout scriptures. I'm sure our conversation has sparked some questions for you, or maybe a yeah, but kind of comment. Would you send that to us? You can either post on our Facebook, in our Facebook group, or on our Instagram page, or you can send it to us at info at Winfear Reigns. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks for your feedback and your questions. Be safe, be a light, and keep growing. We'll see you next time on Winfear Reigns. We're praying that our time together has helped the fear of God to reign in your life.